Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Mark Savell. Mark is a sales representative with Sage Real Estate. He's one of the top real estate agents in the city, and he's also a blogger. You can find him over at torontolivings.com. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to chat with you. I know we've uh, been friends and colleagues, uh, mostly online, but a little bit in real life too, over the years that we've been in real estate together. So always good to chat with you, Mark, um, and hear your take on the market. I know you're a very active uh, agent, and like I said, one of the top agents in the city for the resale market. So love to get your perspective on the market and just especially for the condo investor out there, somebody buying pre-construction. Uh, which is what we're usually talking about on the show, is to, again, just to um, uh, get in touch with reality, so to speak, to, to hear from, from somebody like yourself who's you know, in the street uh, every day um, dealing with real buyers, real sellers, uh, real renters, real landlords um, in the resale market as opposed to the pre-construction, the uh, floor plan world, the... Um, not built yet world, which is a little bit different. So good to good to chat with you and hear your perspective on the market today. Why don't you start by telling everybody a little bit more about yourself, who you are, how you got started in real estate? For sure. So I am. I just celebrated my tenth year in the business last um, last month in May. Uh, it's funny how fast time flies. It feels like we, we were just uh, following each other on Twitter yesterday, and here we are, ten years later. Um, I primarily work in the downtown core, I would say between Dufferin and Bayview, uh, south of Bloor, but in recent years, a lot of my condo buyers are kind of uh, going and, and kind of going through the cycle, meeting their partners and selling off their condos or renting them out and moving up into houses. So I've kind of shifted in the last three years from kind of a downtown condo guy to more of like a midtown house guy with a bit of condos downtown type of thing. Um, that's great. Yeah, actually, sorry. We, uh, yeah, 10 years. That's almost, we started in real estate almost, almost around the exact same time, actually. Yeah. Uh, both of us about 10 years. Um, and, uh, sorry, you wanted to talk about your blog as well, Toronto Livings. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of like a, a space I have online where I can kind of share exactly what we're doing now, kind of the, the in the trench experience of what I'm seeing out there and what's, what's going on. And this market is changing in both directions so quickly, so fast. And I think having these online tools is just a good way to share what we're seeing and kind of educate the people on what to expect and what's really going on from the perspective of someone in the field versus maybe a journalist behind a desk in a building downtown with no real skin in the game type of thing. Um, so yeah, so I look forward to the conversation and just kind of talking about uh, this crazy market we're having in 2017. Yeah, and I know you're also, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're also a real estate investor yourself too. I am. That's correct. Tell us, uh, yeah, what uh, what have you invested in, or what what's your approach to real estate investing from your personal uh, portfolio? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think people kind of overcomplicate the process. It's it's really just getting past your fear of parting with your money, and the rest is kind of easy. So I've got uh, I've got two midtown houses that I rent out, and I have a condo at Dufferin and Lawrence that I currently live in, and. All of those were, were pretty much bought on a whim. Not much thought went into them. It was kind of the location worked. 
I had the funds, I knew I can carry it, and I just bought them type of thing. Um, where I'm liking a lot is very heavily along the future Eglinton LRT corridor, especially in the houses. I think there's some really good opportunities between, I would say, about Marley Avenue all the way out to about Keel along Eglinton, north and south in that corridor. Um, there's lots of growth coming and lots of plans for future development, so I'm kind of focusing on those areas with, uh, with the investment properties. That's great. Um, why should people invest in real estate? It's just like, it's like the Swiss army knife of investing. There's so many ways you can use property. Um, I say that because it's not like a stock where you own a piece of paper that can go to zero and you zip it up and throw it in the fireplace to keep warm. Uh, the home, number one, provides shelter. Two, it provides a growing asset that you can borrow against and you can kind of leverage to get your second, your third, your fourth, or however many properties you, you want down the road. Um, or at the end of the day, it provides a place to grow your family at the same time, bringing you, um, you know, appreciation. And I always think back to my grandmother who, when I was like four, ingrained in me that they bought their house for $10,000, their house at uh, Bloor and Dover Court, which is now worth, they still own it, worth probably millions. Um, and I always remember thinking, gee, <laughs> you only bought one? <laughs> If you bought three or four, we'd be having a different conversation. So, you know, I always think, okay, you're young now. Try to buy as much as you can. So when you're older, you can look back at your grandkids and say, I struggled today or I choked today so we could breathe tomorrow type of thing. So um, I just like real estate because it's, so, it's got so many different uh, uh, things you can do with it. It's not just a one-tracked type of investment. Beautiful. I love it. Swiss Army Knife of Investing. I'm totally stealing that line. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so true because we talk about that a lot in the podcast, just how the multi-dimensional aspect of real estate and how you can benefit from it. You can um, have different income streams and different ways to use that asset to grow your wealth. Um, it's not just a one-dimensional thing. There's just so many ways that it can benefit you. Um, the, the downside over the long term is so, so low. Um, and like you said, I think the only regret that people have when it comes to real estate, if they're in it for long enough, the only regret will be that they didn't buy more. Sure, if, if, you're, if you're talking about short-term periods of time uh, here and there, there may be downturns in the market. But if you look at any long-term investor, if you talk to anyone over the age of you know 80 years old, like you were saying, like... Uh, you know, the older generations and you look back, uh, that's, that's the one common thing is, you know, if, if they, if they had a bought more back then <laughs> they would have been so much further ahead. My parents, my grandparents, every world, we see it, we see it every day. And, um, yeah, I think that's something that drives me as well is, is seeing the older generation in my own family and, and just saying, you know, I don't want to get to the point later in life where I, where I say, I wish I had a bought more. Um, so I'm doing everything I can now to buy as much as I can now, um, so that, you know, I can, I can look back with no regrets and, and, you know, also look, you know, look at a, a, a lot more wealth, uh, in the future than I would have had if, if I had been sitting on the sidelines. Well, and it's refreshing to be talking with a realtor who's not just pushing, you know, an agenda of sales and commission driven, um, salary for oneself you're 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 in the game you've got your skin there you know clients always ask me like 
is the market turning? Is it going to crash? And I tell them, well, if it crashes, I'm crashing with you. Like I'm actively buying at the same time. So no, I'm hedging my bets that it's not. That's just not a reality that I think we should be worried about. But having skin in the game is so much gives you so much more confidence to talk to people saying, well, here's what I'm doing. and Here's why I think you should do the same. Bingo, bingo. On that note, it's a good transition to talk about the market right now and what's happening. Um, you know, a lot of headlines, obviously, in the past month or so since the Wynn government instituted the changes to the, you know, the foreign buyer tax and rent control and, and the other stuff. Um, seeing a lot of doom and gloom sort of headlines out there, um, you know, uh, uh, sales down, listings up. Um, prices, you know, from month to month, maybe they're looking like they're coming down. So a lot of people scratching their heads and wondering what's going on exactly. So what's your take? What is happening in the resale market right now? Like, where do you see, what's, what's the market today? Yeah. Um, maybe let me take a step back and give you my theory of Toronto real estate evolution and what, how we got to where we are today. Um, I like it. Yeah, and I won't bore you with uh, 2008. I'll just start kind of 2017 where <laughs> what I see happening. Um, I mean, towards the end of 2016, we started hearing about these absolutely crazy numbers that sellers were achieving. And I think that heat continued into the first three months of January, February, March, where almost everybody was becoming a millionaire overnight. There was some, again, my grandmother, some stats she called me about how her house was appreciating 40000 a day or some obscure number she had in her head that she read in the newspaper. Um, and I think that was fueling everybody, you know, who wants to be a millionaire. Well, if you own a Toronto property, you, you pretty much are one. And I think everybody kind of got in that bad mind of, wow, the money's great, let's take it. Um, so what I saw was January, February, March, not very many listings, the ones that did, the ones that did come to market um, were, were paid handsomely with an insane, you know, sale number. From March on, or more specifically, where I really noticed a shift was Easter weekend. After Easter weekend, I've never seen so many listings come to market in one time. And I know that it's kind of seasonal that that's the unofficial start of the spring market. But if I was seeing three to five come up on a daily basis, I started seeing like 30 to 40 within my search criteria. Um, and that's when I was kind of like, oh, okay, let's kind of pump the brakes and see what happens because with all this supply, uh, I don't know if the demand is going to be able to match it. And sure enough, a lot of people pulled their property off the market because they weren't achieving what they were looking for. Bid um, base would come and go with no offers, and people had to readjust. So I think there's about an eight-week lag from what is really happening to the effects in the market in terms of headlines and how everybody reacts to it. Because we started hearing in March that, whoa, maybe, maybe the buyers are kind of getting sick and tired and there's more listings coming and things could shift. By April, May, we were there, um, and that was right in that kind of six to eight week window that, that I think we were experiencing. A lot of it, I feel, is psychological. Um, I do feel as if listings, I mean, take it for what it's worth, but I think that the week over week has started to see a decrease in listings. It could be seasonal, but I truly do think that a lot of people and realtors are starting to have to adjust what they say and kind of be more realistic in you're not going to get $500,000 over asking like you were expecting. You might have to change your strategy, list a little bit more, and negotiate down as opposed to, you know, there's this one realtor who lists everything at $899, everything. And, you know, <laughs> Must be nice. That, that's easy. 
What should we price it at? I don't, I don't know. Eight ninety nine, no matter what it is. <laughs> and uh, they sell for a, a, a varying of numbers from a mil to one point five. I've seen uh, their listings go for. Um, so, as realtors, I think we have to re-educate with the real reality of what's happening in the market and kind of explain that the shift is here. Um, I'm seeing a mixed bag of things, and the last two weeks are a really good indication that I'm going to be right that listings will probably decrease and buyer demand will pent up and we'll be back to where we were. Maybe not as crazy, but the shift back to a seller's market I think is realistic. Um, two scenarios in the downtown core that really, really kind of caught me by surprise. Um, two lakes front condos, one in the east end and one in the west end. And when I say east end, I mean um, St. Lawrence Market. And when I say west end, I mean Bathurst. So not out of the city, still in the downtown core. Um, right. Let's start with the craziest one. That was two days ago. It was listed at um, 399 and for the building, it was more or less priced in line with what previous sales were. Uh, there was one that sold for a little bit more just a month ago. And um, to my surprise, I told my client, yeah, I think they're expecting one or two bids. And, and we went aggressive. We thought we had a good shot at it. Uh, Ten people showed up to that property. Ten offers. Ten offers for a property that's a stone's throw away from the airport porter. Yeah. Um, it's in a relatively congested part of the town, so it's not like you've got these sweeping like views and it's the million dollar penthouse that you know you need to have. It wasn't one of those at all. Um, it was an older unit, probably not touched in about ten years, so it needed some updating and some some TLC. Uh, ten offers and it sold for. 43% over the list price, which was absolutely insane and smashed the previous record by well over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So, so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not one of those agents playing games and whoa, yeah, we kind of expected it to sell in this range. This was a true proper record smashing sale that everybody was just kind of like, what? Um, and that kind of is, is, a reality that we have to tell our buyers is that not every property you're going to get for 50000 are asking. I just don't think that's realistic. Um, there is still a lot of buyer demand out there. It's just the confidence is hit. When every time they open a newspaper or flip on the TV, there's some headlining promoting that things are kind of crashing or, or coming down. And I think it's fair to say that definitely things are more balanced, but to use an extreme of, oh, prices are going to crash, hold off and wait, I, I don't really... I don't believe that myself for my own personal investing purposes. Right. So that was the first story, $100,000 over the previous over the previous record and when was that record set? Last month. Last month. <laughs> so this is not like last year or 2 years ago. This is $100,000 over the previous record of last month. Yeah. Um Wow. And 10 offers. So you have nine buyers who are floating around still looking for something to buy and they have been shut out. That was, a, and I think you said you had a second story as well. Yeah. So this is on the opposite side of town. Now this was a beautiful, you know, five-year-old building, everything modern, everything done. I could see it selling over asking for sure, but that was another one where nine people came to the table. And I think the reason why the number is important is, as you had mentioned, you know, there's eight other people that want this property. It's not like the buyers have disappeared and the confidence is completely shot. There's still scenarios where if you're in a good location, in a good building, you're going to get that demand. 
So, and what and what what did this one go for, and how like what did you think it was going to go for, and what did it go for? Okay, so this one was kind of a mixed bag of uh, of sales in the building. Um, they were listed just under six, and the last I would say like five previous sales were all in around that range of just under six. And then you had one spike that was in the high sixes, close to seven. But that was kind of this one sale right in the peak of the craziness of early 2017. Um, so I kind of discounted that value and just said, look, that was probably the hype and someone just really wanted it and they paid that price. Um, and I advised my clients that I don't think we're going to have that number come up in this one uh, with the sale. And we got exactly that. The number was within a couple thousand dollars of that crazy sale. Um, so nine offers and I think it sold, I want to say about 90K over asking. 90K over asking. And that... that that worked out to roughly like these two sales worked out to roughly how much per square foot? Uh, the latest one, I'm, I'm not 100%. I didn't crunch those numbers because I was <laughs> so turned off by how, how crazy it sold for. But the one on the east end sold for roughly a thousand a foot, just under a thousand. A thousand dollars a square foot. Wow. Yeah. Nine, nine offers, thousand dollars a square foot, record prices being set. When we were kind of uh, working uh, uh, Young and Bluer in the, in the one Bluer days, the Vazis days of, um, yeah. of Young and Bluer, a thousand a foot was like, holy crow, like luxury all day, like we made it. This is just your, I mean, it's a great condo, but it's not a risk for season by any stretch, achieving those type of numbers. Right, right. So a thousand, are you seeing that? Yeah, how much of that are you seeing? Like 900, $1,000 a square foot? Um sort of being achieved in the downtown core? I'm definitely seeing that more outside of the areas that we would expect that to happen. So like your, your standard Yorkville or your hot King West location. Um, I am starting to see that in some other buildings, maybe not pushing and clearing the thousand, but definitely in the eights to nines, which, which I think happened a lot faster than I would have expected to happen. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. Um, so yeah, so you've got two, and this is all just in the past couple of weeks, two crazy bidding war situations with the records being set downtown. Um, what, what do you take from this in terms of, you know, um, in terms of, well, let's maybe speak to the, like to the condo investor who's buying today. Like what, you know, when, when, when the market is maybe slowing down a little bit or there's signs of the market slowing down. There's still properties like this that are setting records. Um, so what would be your advice to the condo investor? What's the best type of property to buy in order to sort of, for them to also have this success in the future? Um, well, as always, I mean, location, but that's, let's not be cliche. Uh, obviously, location is important. I think it goes back to your fundamentals and you have to follow what your guidelines are and what you're trying to achieve. And like, if you're a condo investor, you know what carries and it's a very black and white type of purchase. You're not going off of emotion. You're more going off the numbers. Um, I, I would say, you know, when you see sales like this happening, don't participate in them because there's obviously other ones where you can find a, a more bang for your buck. Um, but, you know, make sure you're in a building that's run by a really good property management company. I think that's so crucial to the well-being of the building. Um, in a location that's accessible and, you know, as a, as a general rule, I follow is if you're insulated in the downtown core, um, you, you, start, you stand a better chance of doing better than some of the, uh, pro- the condos listed outside of the city. Right, right. So, 
in the core when things slow down is sort of the last to slow down and the first to pick up again when things when things turn that's an accurate uh, assessment of things i mean even if you look in in 2008 when the states had their problems markets like new york and california and the, the cores you know the the major metropolises they were the last or they felt the least of it and kind of the ones in in remote locations suffered the hardest so you know, pick your locations properly, choose something where there's the renter pool there, like, you know, the Bay Street Quarter, we have the schools and the hospitals and the financial district. Um, those are things I'm looking for when I'm working with clients. Where do you see the market heading from here, like sort of in the next few months, but also, long, you know, bigger picture, the next few years? Yeah, uh, awesome question. I mean, everybody always asks, or they've got that cousin's uncle's friend's girlfriend who knows the market's going to crash because she's been saying this for 14 years and she just knows now's the time. Um, I, you know, I try, try to tell people, look at the fundamentals and then ask yourself, is it really going to crash? So the three fundamentals I focus heavily on are interest rates, population pattern, and overall confidence. Um, it's, in confidence, I would say in your job and your ability to cover the mortgage. We still have a extremely high amount of population coming in every year. I mean, it fluctuates between 150 and 200 from what I hear. Um, rates are still relatively cheap and the demand and the confidence, yes, it's a little bit more balanced, but it's definitely still there as these two sales can speak from my experience. Um, so I would say, you know, look at those things. If you, if rates start to shoot up or for whatever reason, population patterns shift, I think big picture, we should be concerned about where this market's going because that's what's fueling the, the buyers of today to become sellers tomorrow. Um, and as long as those things stay in check, I think we have a pretty good pulse that things will continue to go up. I'm not expecting the 30% year over year that we were seeing from 2017 to 2016. I think that's just not sustainable, but bringing it back to more healthier numbers of between, you know, eight and 50% would definitely be something that's achievable and not way out of question. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So that's, that's a great summary. Basically fundamentally you think the market is strong. Uh, we are in a short term sort of, dip in confidence but the demand is still there the days of 30 percent you know appreciation are probably over but a return to what we're used to which is you know single high digit sort of six seven eight ten percent range is probably what we're going to be heading back to um yeah that's that's a great summary and i, I couldn't agree with you more mark yep yeah, sorry go ahead one thing um 2008, in, in, that's when I got my first taste of kind of a market slowdown, um, and that was when the states obviously had their issues, and we had a bit of a psychological slowdown where we thought, wow, we're going to follow the big brother to the states, and we're going to have the same thing. It never happened, but the headlines kept pumping that it was going to happen, and there was a good six-month window where I saw such amazing opportunities to buy, um, and people that did do it were, were rewarded handsomely from it once the market picked back up. And I think you really should be looking in, in a window of between four to six months when you're kind of judging what the future holds. None of this one year and beyond type of thing, because really we can't predict that. So I would just say follow your fundamentals and, and keep a close eye on what the short term is if you're trying to get in. But when you get in, you're doing it for long term. So don't be too affected by little blips in the market, because if you're holding it for 10, 15 years, this won't matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So many times just people get so caught up in the short term and they forget about the long term. I mean, 
six months, a year here and there, it's nothing in the, in the big picture. Think about, think about Mark's grandma who bought at Bloor and Dover court for $10,000 way back in the day. Uh, and think about making that you and making that your story, you know, 20, 30, 50 years from now, only your story will be different because you will have, like Mark said, you will have bought two or three or four instead of one. There you go. Um, Mark, it's been great chatting with you. If people want to get a hold of you or reach you, what's the best way for people to do that? Yep. So I'm available anytime on Twitter at SavelleSells, S-A-V-E-L-S-E-L-L-S, or via email, MarkSavelle at gmail.com. Awesome. And your website again is Toronto Livings, with an S, TorontoLivings.com. Mark, thanks so much, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.